0: Well, we've read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and I want to talk a little bit about the whole idea of, of grace and giving, because that's the, that's the theme here. And in the context, Paul was in a, a somewhat delicate situation, because Corinth had talked an awful lot about raising funds and, and making some sort of collection for the poor saints, the poor believers that were in, in Judea. And yet they hadn't actually come up with uh, with anything. And so Paul is writing to them saying, look, you know, I don't want to force you. And you shouldn't give out of any sense of compulsion that you must do this, but understand I'm in an awkward situation. I've boasted about your, your eagerness to do this, but uh, I also don't want to force you, but on the other hand, I also uh, sort of have to uh, explain my boasting about you and my promises about you to those that are in need. And so, in dealing with that very difficult situation, he, he raises a number of, of principles, we could say, about giving, which I think are, are valid for all time. He starts off in chapter 8, verse 1, by saying, that I want to tell you about the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. And although they're poor, he says, because God gave them grace, they therefore are giving. Now, grace is the same word translated gift and that is really the the idea of of the word the fact that we have been shown grace by God that we have been given salvation in in prospect we have been given his absolutely undeserved favour and blessing and and acceptance and forgiveness that means that we can't be passive to that but we should in our turn give out to others and so he says the believers in Macedonia were given grace, it's a word play there, and therefore they were generous. To a quite amazing degree, he says. Although they were terribly poor, their deep poverty, yet they were rich in, in, their, in their generosity. So then he sets up a principle, that we are given so that we might in turn give out to others. And if you have a look at chapter 9, verse 11, he says the same. He says... You being enriched in everything, unto all liberality, generosity. You have been enriched so that you might be generous. And through that, he says, that will cause thanksgiving to God. So the whole idea of being given anything is so that we might give it out to others, and so that they might, in their turn, thank God and glorify God for our generosity to them, and so he he talks in the, the old English about how this is is in fact is in fact uh, an experiment, an experiment by by God. In verse thirteen, he says he talks about the experiment of this ministration, the experiment of this service, and. The idea really is a test, a, a, a proof, if you like. So the experiment is going on in the laboratory of life. And we are the, if you like, the guinea pigs, the people that are being tested, experimented on. And God is giving us diff- different things, various things, and seeing how we give them out to others and how that gives glory back to him. But of course we mess it up. The minute we say, this is my, th- th- this is my pen, And that's mine, and it's not yours. This is my life. This is my book. This is my money. This is my salvation. This is my anything. It's mine. Then we start to miss the point, and the experiment, as the Old English says, will not work. We fail. The whole point is that we actually own nothing. Now, that is taught right through the New Testament in that we are called so many times the slaves or the bond slaves of God and Jesus. You remember Romans 6, we were the slaves of sin and now we are the slaves of of God and Jesus and of righteousness. Now, a slave owned nothing, not even their own body, absolutely nothing. They were owned and possessed by somebody else. And so the whole idea of personal ownership of of anything is really a myth. Yes, we may spend our lives paying off a mortgage or bond or whatever so that I own this piece of land and I own this house that is built upon it or this apartment or whatever. Yes, you own it until you die. The the whole idea of personal possession, that this is mine forever, is is a myth. It's, It's just not how things work out. And so we are given all that we have so that we might give out to others. Now, unfortunately, in this capitalistic world in which we live, where money has become an absolute obsession, people tend to think, oh yeah, so you're saying we've got to be generous. So you're saying that you think that I should give some money to this cause or that or the other. And actually, no, that's not what I'm saying. I don't think actually that is really the essence of what Paul is saying here. Why I say that is because who were the Corinthians? Well, if you go back to to chapter 1, verse 26, he, he talks about how the Corinthian church was made up. And he said, there's not many of you that are mighty in this world. They were generally the poorer people. There's not many great, wise people amongst you, educated they were basically a working class group of people there in Corinth. So it wasn't that they were super rich and being asked to be generous from their, from their wealth. He says in chapter 8, verse 7, You abound in everything, in faith, utterance, knowledge, and so abound in giving also. So they had more than they thought. They were, in that sense, wealthy. Because God had given them all these these riches that are are spiritual riches. All spiritual blessings, as Paul talks about in another place, all spiritual blessings that God has given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So then he says in in chapter 9, verse 11, You have been enriched in everything unto generosity. You've been enriched. You are rich. But they weren't rich in terms of dollars. They were were working class people. So, a lot of people, I think, turn off when you start talking about giving. Because they say, well, I'm not wealthy. It's not for me. Yeah, if I was, you know what, I'd be really generous. Well, I'm working really hard to build up my life, career, business, etc. So that when I've got money, I can be generous. But that's missing the whole point. The whole point is that we have been enriched. He says that the Corinthians were wealthy. Not in terms of dollars. But they had been given all these spiritual blessings, and they were being asked to give them out. Because the greatest thing we can be given is salvation. Everlasting life. Just like you can't buy health for money, ultimately, you can buy eternal life for money. Not for billions. You can't buy it. But we have been given that. When we walk down the street or drive down the street passing people who maybe are millionaires or billionaires or whatever but the fact is we have a huge a huge wealth that they do not have we have been forgiven by God, that to me is one of the most priceless things you can buy forgiveness off God but God has forgiven us he has given us his grace, his gift his acceptance, his love if we may look at it maybe in a primitive way there, there was God There, up there in in, in heaven. And he saw us here on this earth, in his mind's eye, as it were. And he saw each of us and said, okay, I will just make up a wonderful destiny for Duncan, for for you, for, for her. I'll just create this. And it costs me, if it will cost me the death of my son. Okay, I will do this. I will do this. Purely by grace. Now, if we have been given that grace, we also will catch the spirit, or we should catch the spirit, of being outgiving, of giving out of that wealth that we have received. Now, he quotes the Lord Jesus uh, as a parade example of this kind of generosity. Chapter 8, verse 9, You know the grace or the giving of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. And the Greek word means a pauper a street person almost, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, the Lord Jesus was not wealthy in terms of dollars. He also was a working man. And yet we're told here that he was in some sense rich, but he became poor. And this idea of him giving out all that he had is there in Philippians 2, again, the same idea, I think, in Paul's mind, that the Lord Jesus had this this great wealth, in, in his relationship with the Father that he gave out to us in other words he didn't just sit there in Nazareth praying to God having a nice time out there meditating sort of basking in the sunshine of God's love kind of thing and just having a great time with God but no he, he left all that and got involved in the lives of, of prostitutes, of tax collectors of desperate men and women and led a small group of them to salvation and continue to work with them to build up the, the family that that he has done and so it's not a case of we can only respond to this call to generosity if we are wealthy or if we have something material. The whole idea is that we should pick up this spirit of outgiving in response to God's outgiving to us and if we have that then as, as Paul says very powerfully in, in chapter eight, Um, verse verse 12 if there is most importantly a willing mind it is accepted according to that a man has and not according to that he has not the actual giving of anything material is, is not so important, he's saying the important thing is to have this what he calls a ready mind, a willing mind a mind that gets it that I have been given so much and I want to give out to to others. Now, you might remember that account in the Old Testament where the the, the Jews were surrounded by an army and this army was basically scared off by God. They thought that they were being attacked by somebody else and they ran away, left all their gold, silver and all their precious things there in their tents and ran away and there were a, a few beggars, lepers, who slipped out of the city and thought, well, we might as well go and, and die uh, w- with the enemy than just die of hunger in the city. They go out there, they find gold, silver, etc. They think, wow, this is great. They start, like, stashing it up for themselves and then stop. It's not quite right. There's a, a ring of truth uh, about that story. That it's not a story, it's real history. That those men thought, ah, stop now. We can't just have all this for ourselves. We've got to share this with our people, with other people. And so that's how it should be with us. That one cannot be convinced that I am forgiven, that I will live forever in God's kingdom, and then be passive about it, and not breathe a word of it to anybody else. We, We can't do that. You can't, like those lepers, you can't stash a load of gold and silver, and then you say, wow, there's just so much of it here you actually have the natural desire to go and share that with somebody else. And this is what's going on here. And I I said that the Lord Jesus is held up by Paul there as the parade example. That if he outgave of himself so much for us, what about us? We must respond to that by giving. And so he says in verse 5, chapter 8, verse 5, when he talks about how generous the Macedonians were, who he says were very poor, he says, they. but first of all, he says, they gave their own selves to the Lord and to us. As if our giving of ourselves to the Lord has to be paralleled with giving ourselves to our brethren. As John puts it in slightly different language, if you love God, you will love your brother also. You cannot say, I love God, and not love your brother. This means you don't love God. Anyway, he, he says that they gave themselves, and this is the... Same words used a number of times about the Lord Jesus giving Himself to die for us on the cross. Just a couple of uh, examples. First Timothy chapter two, first Timothy chapter two, verse six. He says the Lord Jesus gave Himself on the cross a ransom for all. He gave Himself in His death, and now He says that well. The reason why the Macedonian brethren were, were generous to their brethren was because they had given themselves to, to, to the Lord. Titus 2.14, another example. Titus 2.14, Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us and purify unto himself a people for his own possession, zealous of good works, So, he gave himself for us so that we might do good works. And we might think, no, he gave himself for us so that I might be forgiven and I might live forever. Well, that is true, but the result of that was an inspiration to us in our lives. Now, God could have saved us any manner of means he chose. It was not in that sense necessary that he had a son, and certainly not that Jesus would die in the way that he died in this terribly public, painful, naked way of being left without absolutely anything. And then one by one, at the very end, his friends go away from him, he is left alone, then his mother is there, and she and John turn around and walk away. He's left, finally, at the very end, with nothing. Now, that is uh, the pattern for us, so that... We're not only saved because of that, but we are inspired to good works. And so it's, it's no wonder that uh, that here in Corinthians, Paul is quoting the example of Jesus and saying that that is the the root cause of our generosity, if you like, of our of our giving. Now, going on with that theme, chapter nine, verse six, he says, "He that sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly." And he that sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. Now, when he says, he that sows sparingly, there's another time where that Greek word occurs, and it's in Romans 8 verse 32. God did not spare his son. The God who did not spare his son freely gave us all things. So then, God's example let alone that of the Lord Jesus, is held up as ours. That if God did not spare his son, we also should not sow sparingly. It's the idea of of not irresponsible generosity, but a, a total outgiving of life. Not holding things for myself, but realizing this whole thing of possession is a huge divine experiment. To use that old English word that the AV uses here that it's to see how we will give it back out to create glory to God. So then, what have we been given? We've said we've been given salvation, we've been given grace, we've been given forgiveness. And in fact, he starts writing to, to the Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, saying that great grace has been given to them. And so when we, we think, well, who am I and what have I got? What can I do? Well straight away, even if we, we feel we have no material things to give to anybody, even if we, we feel that I have no talents, and I'm not a talented guy, what can I do? Just exist? No. We have been given a lot. We are richer than we think. With the the, the riches, as he elsewhere calls them, the riches of God's grace. And he says in Ephesians four verse seven that to each one of us has been given grace, has been given gifts. So we should not think that that I don't have anything to give. We have more to give than we think. And perhaps this sense we have that, well I don't have anything, I'm nothing, I I, I don't have nothing to, to to share, is in fact, maybe psychologically, subconsciously, some form of of sort of self defence against sort of having to be generous. He says, for example, in Ephesians 4, verse 29, Speak in such a way that it ministers grace, or a gift, to the hearers. How you speak is a gift to others. Speaking in a way that ministers grace. So then, thinking about this business, if you like, of giving. Verse 2. Chapter 8, verse, verse 2, he talks about how the believers in Macedonia gave from their deep poverty in their liberality. And you might notice in some margins of, of, of some English Bibles, it says singleness or simplicity. There is to be a simplicity, a straightforwardness in giving. Now, whenever we contemplate, I think, generosity, generosity to others, it seems, if, well, at least to me anyway, and maybe for you I, I suspect, that straight away the thing starts getting complex. Should I help that person? Well, yeah, I know that they're not actually that responsible a person. Well, yeah, but if I give them that, they might do this. Or if I talk like that to them, then then she might think that. Or he might uh, take liberties and do this or do that or whatever. And yet we're told, and the word occurs several times here in this whole passage, that giving is to be with simplicity, not naivety. That's not what it means. But the idea is put away all that complex argument, trying to work out for a huge, as it were, algorithm or massive equations whether or not I should be generous. No, that's not the idea at all. It also says, verse 3... That they gave of their own accord, the R.V. says. They gave of their own accord. And oddly enough, in verse 17, we've got the same when he talks about uh, Timothy. He says that he uh, not only accepted the exhortation, what we asked him to do, but was himself of his own accord willing. There you see the idea of people taking the initiative. And that's why I have no time for hyping people up to do things for others, to be generous to others, because it must come of our own initiative, of our own accord, as it was with the Macedonians, as it was with Timothy. And of course, when you think about it, it can be no other way. If we are responding to God's grace that he has given me, that he has given you, then our response to that has to be personal. It has to be a person reflecting in their own conscience, in their own mind and deciding, yes, I can't be passive. I must do something. This is not a sort of a hype whereby everybody gets sort of worked up and says, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Let's support this cause or do this for that person. I get the impression here he's talking about a a willfulness of, of purposing. And he, he says that they should give as each man purposes as each person purposes in their own in their own heart that's chapter 9 verse 7 let everyone do according as he has purposed in his heart not grudgingly or of necessity for god loves a cheerful giver so it's not that we're caught up on emotion. We see something, and, 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 and oh, we see a need, and oh, great, uh, great great sort of feeling of emotion, oh, I should do something. I mean, that, that's quite legitimate, and that's good that it should be like that. But ultimately, the spirit of giving comes from a purpose in the human heart, whereby we decide to do that. And that's why he says, you will not give of necessity." Not because someone is nudging you or you feel bad about something, you think, well, I should do it. Because if you if you do give on that basis, you cannot be what he calls a cheerful giver. That's what God loves, a cheerful giver. Whereby we with joy with joy are generous. Because we have received that, that those blessings from God, and we want to give that out with joy, with simplicity, as I say, not in naivety or idiocy, but, but with a singleness of mind, whereby we say, no, he's given me this, he's done all this for me, I want to give that out to, to others. That's, that's the idea. So then, we are to minister He he says that when you give to others, you minister to them. Chapter 9, verse 1, he talks about the ministering to the saints. And it's a tragedy that in many Protestant groups, there's the idea that one guy or whatever is a minister, or there is a, a team of ministers or servants in the church. We are all to be ministers. And, of course, it's the same word used specifically about the Lord Jesus in his death on the cross where we're told that he died as a servant of all. Same word, minister of all, Mark 9.35. He was a servant, a minister of all, and he invites us to be the same. So then, we are to give cheerfully, of a willing mind, with an eagerness to do this, and the, the motivation for that is a person's personal realization of what God has done for them. And then he goes on in chapter 9, verse 9, to make a quote from the Old Testament, which appears to be out of context. Chapter 9, verse 9, he says, Abound to every good work, be generous, as it is written, quote, He has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness remains forever. Now, looking at the context there, He's talking about God. You see, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound unto you. As it is written, He, God, has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness remains forever. And he goes on, And he, verse 10, The supplies seed to the sower and bread for food shall supply and multiply your seed for sowing. He is again God. But when you look at that that quote from Psalm 112, verse 9, it's definitely not talking about God there. It's talking about the righteous, generous man. That the righteous man scatters abroad, gives to the poor. His righteousness remains forever. But here Paul quotes that about God. Why would he do that? Because in our giving to others, we are, as it were, mixing our Sinking, if you like, our mind with that of God. His spirit becomes ours. Insofar as he has given to us, we give out to others. Therefore, a verse about human generosity becomes a verse about God's generosity, and vice versa. When it says his righteousness, his his giving to the poor, abides forever, what does that mean? Well, I would say that Who we will eternally be in God's kingdom is to some degree going to be a reflection, a function of who we are today, who we are now. And so every act of outgiving to others will have some permanent effect forever and ever and ever. Now, this life is very short, 70, 80, 90 years. And you know, how many years out of that do, do we spend in covenant relationship with God? 60 years maybe at the most. For, for most people, far less. We have a very, very short and limited time frame in which to work. And according to how we, we, we act, our, we, we deport ourselves in that time frame, that affects who we will eternally be for the ages and ages and ages of eternity. And so every act of outgiving that you do, it's not that it's going to make you better or bigger in the kingdom, not in that sense, but it will have an eternal effect for you. And so when he says that he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and if you sow generously, you'll reap generously, this is talking about the harvest that will be in the kingdom. That harvest isn't now contrary to what these prosperity gospel people tell you you don't get rich by being generous to other people this, the whole idea of giving is not like that at all uh, I mean he's quoted in chapter 8 this example about the manna where he, he says they went out and collected the manna and uh, some people uh, got lots of it and some people didn't, uh, didn't collect so much but in the end they all had the same how did that work out? because the guy who collected the most, the fittest, the youngest, whatever, gave to those who were maybe old and elderly and couldn't gather uh, as much. They ended up all getting the same, because they shared. And so there was, in that sense, an equality. It wasn't the one guy got rich or got more because he gave more to others. No, that's, there's an, there is an equality, uh, as Paul puts it. And so, giving is to be real giving. After the pattern of Jesus, who although he was rich, became poor for our sakes. It leaves you, in some sense, minus That I had this, but I gave it away. That, that's the idea of giving. And that was, of course, the whole thing that happened to, to God. It wasn't a sham, his giving of Jesus. It really cost. The same with the outgiving of Jesus in, in his life and death. It cost him. It, it wasn't... Uh, you know, some sort of setup whereby, well, okay, we can we can figure things out so that you get something, but I don't. Ultimately, it doesn't sort of hurt me that that much. No, no, that's obviously not the idea of of giving after the pattern of Jesus dying for us on the cross. Now, if you want a picture of sowing bountifully, you think of the parable of the sower. And in all the parables, there's an element of unreality. And one of the elements of unreality was that the sower throws his seed everywhere. He doesn't just sow it on the good ground, he's chucking it all over the place. And all those parables have an element that's unreal. And that was an unreal element. That the sower is throwing it out all over the place, on the pathway, in the, in the bush, everywhere on the rocks and what's the point of that? the point is that that is the enthusiasm of the Lord Jesus as the sower to give out the seed the gospel to others so then, even if we feel we have nothing with which to be generous with the spirit of outgiving of God's grace should be there with us and I suggest to you that a day should not go by in which we have not made some effort to share that grace of God, that gift of God, with other people. I printed out on the computer some little, very crummy little uh, like calling cards that just says, what is the gospel? Put it in a few different languages. Put a website address, email address. And I try to leave one of them somewhere. I try not to be a litter bug, but on the other hand... I want to just try to get that message over. I try to do that. And I submit that we can all try to promise that, that we will try every day to get that grace of God out, to give out of ourselves to others. Because that is the whole spirit of of the Gospel. That is, you could say, what the whole thing is all about, Jesus dying as he died, God giving his son so that he could just show his grace to lavish upon us his grace. Not because of what he thinks he's going to get out of us, not like America giving giving aid to some poor country so that that country becomes loyal to them and they get mad when the country goes off and I don't know takes support from Russia or China or somebody else. No. The idea of God's grace to us It is not because, in that sense, he expects anything back. In one sense, all you've got to do is to believe. But, and it's not a catch, but it is true that if you can believe that good good news, the, the good news of that grace, you cannot be passive to it. This is why Paul says in another place that grace reigns. Grace is a king through righteousness unto good works because if we believe that grace if that is a, the king in our lives we're walking down a street in our lives thinking wow I'm gonna be saved I who with all my dysfunction who am I? I I should not live forever but God really has made this plan for me he all those years if you like ago all that time back then just thought well I'll just make up this wonderful purpose to give that man down there an everlasting life. He'll love that. And so he did it. And he did it in this awfully painful way for him, which involved him giving out of all that he had, which involved his son giving out all that he had. Now, if we grasp this, if we really see it, and unfortunately we don't always hold the vision for very long, but insofar as we do grasp it and keep on reminding ourselves of it, insofar, so far we will also inevitably give out. If we think that we, we, we don't know, what can I do, how can I do it? Well, maybe we don't get it. Because quite naturally this grace will take a grip upon us, the experience of it, and we will live lives that are absolutely outgiving, outgiving from ourselves. Now, a lot of people will say, "Oh, you can give out all the time." Well, actually, you can. Not in a human sense. If you do it in a human sense, yes, of course, you'll break down, you'll get crazy, or whatever. But no, not not in spiritual sense, because this is what God's spirit is all about. This is what the whole essence of the Father and Son are all about. And we have aligned ourselves with Him. Remember we saw how Psalm 112 is talking about the generous man, the generous believer, No, Paul quotes it about God. Our spirit, as it were, meshes with that of God. His spirit becomes ours. His attitude becomes ours. And so we live a life of outgiven care, love, compassion, generosity, In every way, in every way, to the glory of God through what that achieves. Thank you.